Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Abby Carcio. And I'm your other host, Sydney Cummings. And from wherever you're listening, welcome to Megged, a women's soccer podcast where we talk about anything and everything related to the women's professional sport. These are our unsolicited football opinions. You didn't ask for them, but we're going to give them. And who knows? Maybe you'll agree. Maybe you'll disagree. But that's the beauty of the game and what's kept us friends for so long. This episode, we'll be recapping the most recent 15 games from group play of the Women's World Cup. Move your feet. This is Megged. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Megged. We are going to catch up with some World Cup news, but first, Abby, how are you? I'm doing well, Sid. I had a nice shooting session this morning. It was absolutely humid. I was drenched in sweat. It was like I went swimming in a pool, but all good here, enjoying some football, and yeah, excited for the next round of matches. How are you doing? Yeah, honestly, same. The weather has been crazy. Normally, San Diego is like pretty cool, sunny 75, but it has just been cranking up the heat. So I'm looking forward to a day of lounging by the pool and catching up on my reading. So really looking forward to that. But everything's been pretty chill. I am still complaining about the time difference with watching the World Cup. It's been really frustrating, but I've gotten a little bit better on a schedule of watching replays and being able to watch some games live. So really excited. This tournament is also cranking up the heat. So really excited to dive in and talk about these games. First, just want to mention um, three things that are really important, two of which have to do with visibility. So the average attendance as of two days ago, which is about July 25th, is 27,926 fans. That's up about 8,000 from France. Great, great, great stat for the women's game. Similarly, they've surpassed ticket sales. So 1.5 million tickets have been sold. All I'm going to say, invest in women's sports. People want to watch. We want to play. I just don't know how much more you need. Yeah, these are the numbers that we need in order to show investors, get their attention and get them to throw their money at us. Because without the numbers, without the fact, you're never going to get the the money heads to to get involved in women's football. And so I'm excited about these stats. And the third bit of news, which is kind of sad news, we've already seen some teams be officially eliminated. So teams like Costa Rica, Zambia, Ireland, Vietnam have officially been eliminated. So they will not be moving on to the next group. But that doesn't mean we won't continue talking about them. Yeah, although these teams are eliminated, they still have a huge role to play, especially in groups that are very tight. So excited to see what they can do in their final match. And then in terms of injury updates, we're probably just going to mention them during our analysis of games. But two that we want to just bring to everyone's attention, we did have the first ACL tear, uh, Haitian defender Jennifer Limage tore her ACL. Hate to see that. Um, And then just kind of want to mention Wendy Renard um, has an issue, might not be available in the rest of group play. So something we might not touch on uh, during that analysis, but just want to mention it now because obviously she's an icon on the women's game. So Abby, if you're ready, let's break down these games, beginning with Sweden and South Africa, picking right up where we left off. Picking up with Sweden and South Africa, this game, the conditions were difficult. It was a wet game. I thought that South Africa utilized their speed well, Um, I thought they could have scored a bit more, honestly. Sweden, I thought, had good delivery on set pieces, scored in the 90th minute, but I feel like they kind of needed that to be a little bit earlier. 100% said Sweden's going one-to-one in the 90th minute against South Africa. This is a crucial three points for them, and to leave it to the end is a bit nerve-wracking, I'm sure, for the players and the coaching staff, but at the end of the day, they got the three points from this one. Yeah, and on the flip side, it's really important for South Africa to be able to close out a match like that. And it's actually the first match of the tournament where both teams scored. So that's a pretty cool stat. So that's Sweden versus South Africa, 2-1 to Sweden. Next, we're going to touch on Netherlands and Portugal. I thought Portugal was weak on defensive set pieces. Netherlands, on the other hand, I thought looked great. They really controlled the pace. I thought they did a really good job of keeping Portugal contained to the outside so that a lot of their shots on goal were outside of the frame of goal. 
this is one of those matchups that I was really excited to see because the profiles of the squads are relatively similar. You have two teams that like to keep the ball. It was an exciting one, and you can see it in the scoreline. One nil. There's not much difference in these two teams for me. Yeah, I thought that Netherlands kind of lost their discipline towards the end of the game. I felt like they could have been, done a better job of closing that game out. But at the end of the day, a win is a win. So that's Netherlands versus Portugal. One nil to the Netherlands. Next game is Jamaica versus France. I think this is probably a shock. Um, it was really good defensive pressure by Jamaica to keep it at a nil-nil scoreline. I thought their lines got a little stretched, but their back line stayed really compact, which is really important. I thought France had opportunities that they need to finish. Got on the end of almost every set piece, but like put it in the back of the net. How hard is it? This is a frustrating result for me. I'm not taking anything away from Jamaica. It's great that they're holding a big name to a nil-nil scoreline. But if you're coming in as France, you need to get three points in these matches. Let's talk about that red card, though, Sid. How does that affect Jamaica going forward? Yeah, I mean, huge, huge loss for them. Bunny Shaw getting a red card at the end of the game. Here's what I'll say. Wendy must be taking acting classes because no way was that a red card. There's no doubt in my mind that that was a terrible decision. I don't think that's a red card. Sure, it can be called a foul, but I definitely don't think that's worthy of a second yellow. She's obviously a leader for Jamaica, so it'll be really interesting to see if it becomes difficult for them with, you know, managing the rest of the group stage. And she generates a lot of opportunities. Jamaica looked really good in that game. How much does that change? I mean, look at Australia. Their key players out. They're not doing so hot anymore. So does Jamaica have that same effect with Bunny Shaw? Yeah, Khadija Shaw is one of their main goal scorers and she's one of the players we said to keep her eye on in this tournament and so it's a shame not only do we not get to see her in the next match but it's also a shame that she can't push Jamaica forward on the offensive line so that is Jamaica versus France 0-0 draw next game we're going to touch on was one we'd kind of flagged in the analysis of the group stages Italy versus Argentina this was obviously a big matchup for the group because one of these teams is probably going to go through as the second place team I thought they had really good attacking moments, Italy. I felt like they kept making runs and it was getting called offside, but that creates a lot of pressure on the back line. The one thing that I'll say on the flip side defensively, I thought they were terrible at clearing their lines. I just feel like that's way too much pressure and a a better team maybe is going to punish you for not clearing the ball well. Right, Sid. This was one of the matches we really wanted to keep our eye on, again, because the profiles are so similar. Yeah, I think defensively they need to tighten up those loose ends. But I did like the goal that was scored by Italy, by Girelli. It was a deep cross from about 40 yards out, and it just landed perfectly on her head. I was really excited for Italy. Remember, that's my heritage. So I like to see a good goal in the run of play. Yeah, and Argentina on the other side, I felt like their free kick delivery was really good, but it needs to be capitalized on. They weren't generating many shots on target, and that's obviously an issue. Honestly, when we flagged this game in the group stage, I thought that both were going to look much better than they did. This is a group that also has Sweden and South Africa. South Africa looked really good. So it's really important for these two teams in upcoming matches that they really keep it together. I felt like it wasn't the best opening game for both of them, but interested to see if they're able to pick that up. Yeah, I agree with you said that it wasn't the prettiest game and not what we were expecting. But I think that was attributed to two things. One, I think there was a lot of nerves for these two teams. The second thing, I think this clash of styles makes for a difficult game to watch, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely does. So that's Italy versus Argentina. one nothing to Italy. Next game is a big scoreline difference. Germany and Morocco. Germany dominated this game. The finishes were clinical. I feel like Pop's goal for the fifth goal, the way she threw herself to help that ball get over the line, that's grit. And I feel like that's something that a winning team has over other teams. Like to be able to throw your body to guarantee this ball goes in the back of the net for your fifth goal, like that's what it takes. I truly enjoyed watching them dominate that game. This is my pick. Germany taking a 6-0 scoreline. In their first match, I love to see it. But, yeah, a little bit surprised that Morocco kind of let it get out of hand. Obviously, we had some own goals in the mix. But overall, I think Germany put on a show. They they 
They show that they can keep a clean sheet. They show that they can possess the ball in the middle of the pitch. And they show that they can put away their chances. Yeah, the thing that I want to say about Morocco is that a lot of the things that I felt like went wrong for them were self-inflicted. They had way too many unforced errors and their back line was not compact enough. And then on the flip side, they were like operating in the two extremes. Either they were overly compact or not compact enough. I thought there was like way too much beehive defending. That's like a term you use when you're coaching kids. They all just like go towards the ball. And then the flip side of that is that if a ball takes a wicked bounce, a German player standing right there wide open, they're not going to miss that shot. So I feel like they need a little bit more work defensively to kind of shore those things up. And that was something that we flagged for them in this group. Like you need to be defensively sound. That totally makes sense. And I also want to mention, Sid, that Germany was without Oberdorf in that sixth position and they're still able to keep a clean sheet, albeit against a lower ranked opposition. But I think it's great to see that other players on Germany bench can step in and and do their role. Yeah. So we flagged Germany as pure domination for this group. And so far they're not disappointing and they're living up to what they should live up to. And that's a positive for me. So Abby, great pick. I tip my cap to you. That's Germany versus Morocco, six, nothing to Germany. The next game we're going to touch on is Brazil versus Panama. And I just want to start by saying in my next lifetime, I want to be born a Brazilian football player. It was so good. Like the ball movement, the creativity, pure enjoyment. Probably going to butcher her name here, but Ari Borges, have yourself a game. I was rooting for them so much during that game. They make you a fan because it's just beautiful. Yeah, on the one side, you have beautiful Brazilian football, that team goal with a back heel. I mean, that's just that's just classic Brazil. But on the other side, you also statistically are dominating. You have 73% possession, and then you also have 32 shots on goal. That is an excellent stat if I'm the staff for Brazil. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, Panama fell victim to Brazil's play. They were stepping out, leaving gaps, and that's what Brazil wants, and that's what they're able to capitalize on because they're so technical and so creative. I thought their keeper did well. I thought the the team was weak on headers, and they need to shore up the left side. All goals started on that left side for them, so that might be something that they need to look at for future matches. I'm also curious how Brazil's going to do against tougher opposition. I mean, they kept a clean sheet in this match, but... They didn't really have a ton of pressure, so I'm curious to see how that changes the dynamic in the next coming games. That is Brazil versus Panama, 4-0 for Brazil. The next game we're going to touch on is Colombia versus South Korea. This was like a seesaw who was dominating the game until the first goal. It was an unlucky handball, but I really think you can't let something like that get in your head. You You just have to keep playing. It's unlucky. Uh, I just feel like it took too long for that game to settle. It was a lot of unforced errors. Honestly, it was it was pretty difficult to watch. Sid, one thing I love to see in this game was the conversion of a penalty kick. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it really opened up the game. Obviously, we spoke about this extensively last episode. It's a gimme. Like, you need to score that. And so that really changed the trajectory of this game, and it allowed Colombia to get a little bit more control because I feel like South Korea dropped off. They were so demoralized, especially after that second goal. And to me, I think that's wrong. Like, you you still have to play top teams in, in your group. Like, you're still alive. Like, that, you can't get down on something like that. Especially in a group that goal differential could make a big difference, it's important that teams don't give up like that. For sure. The one thing I do want to say about Colombia, though, they moved the ball really well in the attacking third. I just feel like both teams really struggled defensively in clearing their lines and organization. So moving forward, especially both of these teams have to play Germany. It's really important that they that they get it together defensively. So they're defensively sound. That is Colombia versus South Korea two nothing to Colombia. So that was everybody's first game in the group stage. Something important to note: want to talk about the newbies here. No newbie won in the first set of group games. So they were 0-8 and unfortunately outscored 23-0. to Abby, real quick, I just want to get your opinion. Do you Does that stat make you feel like, oh, maybe this was a mistake in terms of the top team versus the bottom team, the gap being too big in terms of talent? Like I mentioned in previous podcasts, I think these are necessary growing pains. I think... This was to be expected. I would have hoped for a couple more goals for the newbies, but overall, it's not a big shocker to me, and I think it's necessary. 
And that's going to bring us to the round two of group stage. So we're going to talk about the next group of games for each team. And it's really funny that we just mentioned the newbies because that first game, Philippines came out and they changed that stat. So New Zealand versus the Philippines. New Zealand came out guns blazing. They were so confident. I was watching them and I was thinking, wow, like they're really making a play to come out of their group. They dominated in possession. I thought they could be a little bit more patient in the final third. I think at about, you know, like 15, 20 minutes in, they were kind of just like serving balls into the box. I want to see them break teams down. And the Philippines on the other end was just defending and playing for the counter. They were, they were sitting back in a deep five back and it worked for them because Sierra Bolden able to get a goal on the second phase of a free kick. And that changed the game so much. Right here, Sid, you have a case where one team's completely dominating. The other team is sticking to their game plan and it's going to pay off. What's frustrating about New Zealand is something that we mentioned in the group breakdowns and a fear we had going into this tournament How are they going to score goals? Historically, they struggled to put the ball in the back of the net, and I think that came to bite them in the butt in this match. And it's not to say they don't have their opportunities, right? And in the first set of play, they were dominating. And they continued to dominate possession, but possession doesn't win games. Goals win games. And they were not able to score. They did have an offside goal taken back, and it was one of the ones that I hate. Listen, we talked about VAR in one of our early episodes. I'm I'm a hater with it, and it's for things like this. Hannah Wilkinson's top of her shoulder was offside. Like, give me a break. That's ridiculous. I mean, in the new VAR rule, which is not instituted in this tournament, that wouldn't have been offside. So it, it is frustrating. I totally agree with you, Sydney. But for the time being, the rules are the rules. Yeah, and they implemented the same technology that the men had in the Qatar World Cup where there's a chip inside the ball. So it's able to help them with the timing of it. So based off of the rules for this tournament, she was offside. But as a footballer, like rage, I feel I feel pure rage for them. So, I mean, hats off to the Philippines. I thought they had fabulous tactics. One thing I want to mention, Abby, you know, you're you're not a defender, but you're on this new defending wave. Tell me your thoughts on a five back. I think a five back is a particular defensive shape. One that if utilized correctly can do a lot of damage. The way I like to use a five back in games like this is for that counter and giving you width on the wings. So essentially you change from a five back into a three back. If they can do that efficiently and quickly, okay, yes, it's beneficial. And those five back are turning into some sort of attacking threat. The issue with a five back, and I think we've talked about this before, is the communication or miscommunication between the three that are sitting in the back. Sometimes you don't know when to step. Sometimes you don't know how to cover. I think it's something that needs a lot of practice if you're going to implement it into play. Yeah, I feel like you took the words right out of my mouth about the things that are benefits and things that can can be an issue with it. The Philippines played it initially, and then they kind of shifted into just a four back, and then they kind of shifted back into the five back. So impressed with the fluidity of their tactics. I thought they did really well. Obviously, this is a big hit for New Zealand because they came out guns blazing, were able to win the first game. But we'll touch on the rest of this group in our next analysis. This group is up for grabs, so it might not hurt them so much. So we'll definitely see. That's New Zealand versus Philippines, one nothing to the Philippines. The other game in this group was Switzerland versus Norway, which was a nil-nil draw. I'm just going to say this, what the hell is going on with Norway? I just want to say, in our notes, Sydney may have used a different word than that one to describe this match. Yes, because I feel very passionate about this. Like I rate, I mean, we both do rate Norway. And honestly, forget about forget about just Norway in this game. There was one shot on goal for both teams in the first 30 minutes. Like I, I mean, I'm I have to say Switzerland did not let players breathe in their own 18, and that's good. I really appreciate that as a defender. I thought it was a little kind of like what I talked about with beehive defending. Like sometimes if a ball bounced out a certain way with the second ball, it was dangerous. And I thought on the ball, you know, they they used width after attacking. But honestly, this game to me comes down to the keepers. The keepers kept them both level because honestly, the performances, 
there are a lot of expletives that I feel like I could use to describe this game. Yeah, I mean, Norway is my dark horse of this tournament, and so far they are not doing what I need them to do, and it's so incredibly frustrating. I've said it many times before, they have a plethora of good players, and we're just not seeing it. I mean, let's break down the players on the pitch real quick, Sid. First and foremost, you have Ada Hegelberg, incredible goal scorer. She is not in the starting 11. Originally on the television, she was in the starting 11. At the last minute, she felt something in her leg, and they pulled her out. She did not play in this match. I think that did hurt Norway. The other missing individual that I was quite shocked to see was Caroline Graham Hansen was coming off of the bench. And I mean, she got a little bit of flack in the news because she did come out after the match and say, yeah, basically she was disappointed. She should be playing. And it was a lack of respect to to bench her. Um, But I kind of agree with her and I'm confused on what Hagarisa was thinking with that one. Yeah, I feel like Norway's just got like a lot of drama going on off the field, which obviously can bleed in. But on the pitch, like Jesus Christ, put the ball in the back of the net. Like you can't be getting shut. Like they should not be getting shut out with with the front line that they have. Obviously, they're they picked up their shots on goal for the second half. But again, like I said about possession, not winning games just because you got on goal, you don't get brownie points for that. Like the ball's got to go in the net. The thing about it that I think is really frustrating, like their play isn't necessarily bad. Like they're not actually doing anything wrong in the run of play. They're just not scoring. And I feel like that it makes it even more frustrating because you're kind of like, what's the disconnect? Like you're proving that you should be like, you should be playing well, but here you are yet to get a win in this group. Yeah. I mean, we could talk till we're blue in the face about why this team isn't doing what we want them to do but I I just don't know if we're going to have like these concrete answers and I will mention said yes they're having trouble finishing they did create a lot of chances they had seven corners but they didn't convert a single one I think that may have had to do with the fact that their best header is on the bench injured with Hegelberg out but still I I feel like they're generating so many chances maybe they need more finishing practice Uh, I'm really not sure Yeah, so this group is going to be really interesting in how it plays out, especially if Norway is able to finally pick up a point. So that's Switzerland versus Norway, nil-nil draw. The next game is Japan versus Costa Rica. I just want to say Japan is looking ruthless. Tanaka is a maestro for them right now, and they're generating a lot of shots, generating a lot of opportunities. Honestly, there could have been way more goals. I would have liked to have seen them run up the score on this. I felt like they should have been able to have a similar score line that they did against Zambia. I feel like two is not enough, but that's just me being picky. Yeah, I think Japan is like calmly cruising through this group stage, which isn't exactly the case for everybody else. And I'm excited to see Japan back in some sort of groove, albeit they haven't had the most extreme opposition to play against but I like the way they're possessing the ball but I also like on the other side of the on the other side of the pitch is they're defending they did not give up a single corner throughout this game that is crucial going forward don't you think Sid yeah I think that's great especially because defending set pieces is not their strong suit like they're really susceptible to goals on set pieces so if you can even prevent the set piece from happening job well done I do think Costa Rica made things hard for themselves obviously I'm a spectator I'm not on the pitch but I thought their defending was weak it was not full effort they're not marking runners it looks like there was a real lack of communication and a good team like Japan is gonna be able to manipulate that well so I'm really looking forward to the Japan-Spain game because I feel like those two teams are doing really well in this group. And so I want to see what it's like when they go head-to-head. That is Japan versus Costa Rica, 2-0 for Japan. The other game in this group was Spain versus Zambia, and this was a 5-0 scoreline. Huteas got the start. I thought Spain's combination play, fantastic. In the final third, such high quality in this group stage as a collective. They're doing really well. They're getting so many numbers in the attack. They're always winning the second ball. They're hungry. And I will say probably one of my biggest compliments for them in in this that I think is probably my favorite thing to say so far about this group stage that I really liked. They had a variation of goals, right? They had slip balls through. They had shots from distance. I think to be able to have that versatility, to be able to score in so many different ways, 
is so dangerous because as the defending team, you never know what's coming next. And that is so, so, so good. Yeah, that's a great point, Sid. Having different goal scorers and also having goals scored in a different way allows you to break down teams that give you something different, even from half to half. I do think there has to be something said about the opposition they're playing. I think this is Spain's bread and butter. When they have a team that tends to sit back and play transitionally, yeah, they kind of just pass around you in these tight five-by-five triangles. It's wonderful to watch, and I think it's wonderful for the women's game in general. I also want to mention that absolute banger by Aberea. That was just one a team goal, but also such a quality strike. I, I love to see that. Yeah, I feel like Spain and Brazil right now are neck and neck for goal of the tournament with some of the things that they've pulled out, and i absolutely here for it. The one thing that I'll say about Zambia is that I feel like, similar to what I just said about Costa Rica, they made it hard for themselves. Defensively, they're not marking. They're ball watching. They're leaving players 1v1 isolated against some of the best attacking players in the world. And I just feel like this wasn't the team that I was expecting to come into this tournament. And I felt like they were riding a bit of a high um, beating Germany. They've showed a lot of quality. Um, And I just feel like the reason why they were able to do those things is because they were really defensively sound. And just right now, I just don't feel like they're, they're communicating well enough. They're not keeping their lines compact enough on the offensive side. You can really see Barbara Banta's quality, but if the team doesn't have the ball enough and you can't get her in good goal scoring positions, you're asking her to do the impossible. Yeah, Banta is certainly a very special player. But like you said, Sid, if you have one player that's doing the job of 11, you're never going to win against a team like Spain. I think it'll be really interesting to see their game against Costa Rica. Obviously, both of those teams are already eliminated. Japan and Spain are, are surefires to go through. So it will be really interesting to see who ends up coming in third because that's really good for your morale, right? Like being in a being third coming out of your tournament in a previous tournament, that could have meant that you were getting out. So it still is something to pride yourself on. So I think it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. My eyes are focused on the other side of this table, said Japan, Spain, their next game. I think there's something to be said about peaking through the group stage and to kind of have these incrementally more challenging teams as you go through the group stage, I think it's going to really prove well for both teams going into the knockout. So I'm excited to see how those two possession-based teams do against each other. That is Spain versus Zambia, 5-0 for Spain. Next game we're going to touch on is the Republic of Ireland versus Canada. Starting it off by just saying, Katie McCabe, take a bow. She is quality. Ireland's energy was so good. It was important for them to remain organized defensively. And I felt like they did that at moments. Other times they dropped off. But up until Canada scored their first goal, I felt like they had this one. Yes, I was texting Sydney during this game. After McCabe put that ball in the back of the net, first of all, she's an Arsenal player. Love my Reds. But after McKay put that ball in the back of the net with an elliptico, I texted Sydney. I was just so behind the Irish team. I was just a huge fan. I loved their energy. And the fact that they were up in that game was really exciting. I always love when Canada loses as well, that rivalry with the U.S. Um, But yeah, Canada figured out how to get two goals and and close out this game. The one thing that I do want to say about Canada's goals they had opportunities to equalize. Katie McCabe scored in like the fourth minute. So they had opportunities to equalize early on, some really good looks, and they end up equalizing off of an own goal because of the rainy conditions, a really unlucky bounce from the Irish defender. But to me, domination and being a top team in this tournament is creating your own destiny. You don't bank on, you know, oh, it's rainy, we'll get an own goal. Like you don't bank on something like that. Like you put the ball in the back of the net yourself. Obviously, they were able to score in the run of play for their second goal, but they had the opportunities beforehand. And like now, I mean, this entire group is a headache about who can finish where. And this is, Abby, probably why you said early on in the episode why eliminated teams are still so important, because Ireland can ruin someone's party. But it's just absolutely insane to me that like you can be in control of your own destiny and like leaving things up to chance like. I just feel like certain teams are not dominating the way that they need to be. Yeah, I think Canada's clawing their way out of this group. They still might not get out. And it's not 
what I would expect to see from a gold medal Olympic team. But it is the things that that we said, you know, this is a bit of a concern with the Canadian side. Who's their goal scorer? And I feel like that's what we're seeing. So, I mean, interesting group, don't you think? Absolutely. And like you mentioned, Sid, Ireland is not completely out of this tournament in terms of their effect on their group. Yes, they are going to be playing in the knockout stage. But if they get a result against Nigeria, that can completely shift who gets out of this group. And I'm so excited to see that last match for Ireland. That is Ireland versus Canada, 2-1 to Canada. The next game we're going to talk about was on Abby's Games to Watch. We're probably going to be really in-depth with this one because we're super passionate about it, but it is U.S. versus the Netherlands. No surprise on the scoreline. I'm sure everybody knows this was a 1-1 draw, but I really think it's important we dive into our thoughts here. Let's start with the U.S., Abby. I want to start with this lineup, right? You and I have been pretty brutal with mostly offline, I'll say. We keep it kind of tamed when we're when we're recording, but the U.S. didn't change their starting 11, and this was the, only the second time in tournament play dating back decades that they've done this. Tell me your thoughts, because I was shocked by the DeMello start. Okay, first of all, we could probably spend an entire podcast on this singular match. But to keep it short, there are so many questions running through my mind. Okay, DeMello, she actually didn't have a bad first match. My question regarding the starting 11 is like, why did you keep the front three the same? Oh, interesting. So you're you're not even talking about DeMello. You think it's more so the front line needed to change off a rip. What are you thinking then with, with that front line? Well, I think the the issue of Roosevelt and managing minutes, I I would like her coming off the bench rather than her having to come off early, if that makes sense. I think she makes more of an impact coming in. And so the DeMello-Rose Lavelle sub is pretty normal in my mind. But in terms of the front line, I think we needed to see something different. I think you need, you are going to need all of your forwards if you want to make it deep in this tournament. I just think it's crucial that they get minutes and they get confidence behind themselves in these early stage games. And so I don't understand why he wasn't playing not only did he not start different forwards, but he didn't even utilize a sub on his forward line. Yeah, let's let's touch on that. First, I do want to say, in my notes for this, I literally put in all caps, Rose Lavelle changed this game. Like, her coming in off the bench, I get it. She has She's only 45 minutes. She's limited in her minutes, so you want her in the second half. Yeah, understood. However, the way that she changes the game because of the chemistry that she has with people. We've talked about this. You can't teach chemistry. I think Savannah DeMello is, is doing a really good job. Like I'm not saying that her performance is poor. What I am saying is that she's new to this squad. And so she doesn't have the chemistry with someone like Alex Morgan. But the moment Rose Lavelle stepped on the field, you saw that chemistry. So just things like this, I, I think are really important to not ignore. Vladko made one sub and it was Rose. I was literally screaming at my TV, where is Lynn Williams? Like, I'm sorry, but I just felt like, first of all, leg-wise, I felt like Trinity was was dropping off. And then in terms of scout, Netherlands was locking up Sophia Smith. Like, the moment she got the ball, she was double, triple teamed, like, with nowhere to go. And I obviously don't know because I'm not in camp, but from what I could tell just based off of watching, I would bet money that Vlatko told Sophia Smith, when you get the ball, put your head down, drive at a defender, and beat them 1v1 and get the ball in the box. Because it was so clear that's all she was doing. And, like, that's not what you need to be doing all the time. And I just felt like it then creates havoc because Alex is really used to someone serving the ball in and dominating that way. But, you know, Trinity and, and Soph are driving in too much. Alex doesn't know where to go. She's trying to flick. I just thought the chemistry in the front line, you're so right, Abs. Like, it needed to be switched up. And Blacko said he didn't want to ruin the rhythm. Like, what rhythm are you talking about? Yeah, it was actually very frustrating for me after the match, Vlako's reaction. It didn't even seem like he was disappointed. It was as if he expected to tie the Netherlands. And yes, the Netherlands are a great squad, and we're going to break them down in a minute. But it's unacceptable for a USA team to drop points in a group stage of a world tournament, in my opinion. And so for him to be relatively lackadaisical about this is frustrating. I I think for me, someone that's analyzing the game very deeply, but also for the fans, like, we're not okay with 1-1. One, one. 
said to to round it out with the front three, I would like someone like Lynn Williams to come in and disrupt the rhythm in some aspect positively, obviously. I will say the subs coming off the bench, Barr, Megan Rapino, have all the same profile. They're very fast. Is that concerning to you at all? I think it's important that you have forwards that bring different aspects. Um, I think that the real difference between them is kind of like a little bit more their style. Like I do think Soph wants to take players on, but I feel like she wants to take players on to shoot, whereas Trinity wants to take players on to cross. So like that's the difference there in their profile. But I think that like that's just basically with the squad that he picked, like that's just what the U.S. has to deal with. Like that's what your front line does. Your wingers want to take people on and it kind of like leaves your nine isolated. Like unless someone like Rose can slip Alex in centrally, like that's what you're dealing with. I think that makes it easier for other teams to scout. Like you understand what you need to defend. And I thought the Netherlands did that really well. They had such good tactics to handle the front line because it's stagnant. It's the same thing, no matter what side of the field you're on. Yeah. And if you noticed the Netherlands were basically in a three back for a lot of this game to come out with the confidence and, and frankly, the audacity to be in a three back three for three against the U S national team. I mean, it shows that the, the ties are turning for the U.S. Yeah, the Netherlands wanted this more. They were more competitive. They made better decisions. And and this is the one thing I want to say, because obviously I've said now multiple times, possession doesn't win games. But the one thing that I want to say when I was watching this game, the way the Netherlands were possessing the ball, they were in possession of the ball for multiple minutes. That's very hard to do in the women's game because women press nonstop. And so it's really hard to sustain possession for really long periods of time. That's just inevitable in the women's game. The fact that they were doing that, albeit it wasn't super high in in their attacking third, it was mostly in a middle block. But the fact that they were doing that and they were doing it easily and making the U.S. run around and look silly, I, one, I was shocked. But two, I was actually like, happy like I was rooting for the Netherlands because I'm obviously a big supporter of the U.S. but what I'm not a supporter of is people saying like the U.S. is dominating the U.S. is dominating when if you watch matches no they're not like they they got dominated that game it was kind of embarrassing yeah for me it's just frustrating I do think what you're talking about Sid is, is great for the Netherlands right they're possessing with a purpose they're not just keeping the ball to keep it but they're actually opening up the shape of the U.S. They're pulling them out. And another thing they do with their possession is really tire out a U.S. team that relies on being physically dominant. And and that's just not the case anymore. But I do want to highlight some positives for the U.S. team. Lindsay Horan, hilarious, hilarious incident in this match. She got in a huge tiff with fellow teammate at Lyon, Daniela Vanderdonk. They were exchanging some words, a, a couple push here or there. And the play right afterwards was the corner. And Haran put that thing in the back of the net with a brilliant header. How do you feel about that type of response, Sid? Love it. Love it. I literally said as, you know, they were spatting, whatever, it was taking a while for that corner kick to come off. I literally said out loud, I was like, what if they score on this corner kick right now? And I'm pretty sure the announcer also said, like, the best way to come back right now is for Lindsay to score. And she did. It was pure class, pure domination. Like, that's why she wears the band for me right now. Um, I feel like the the ability to put that game on your shoulders like that is like, you can't teach that she's a beast. And I feel like she really took control over that game. And I know she scored that goal. Obviously that kept them level, but for me, the MVP was Julie Ertz because from the moment the whistle blew, she was the only one that I felt like was being gritty, was putting her body on the line. I thought the U S was kind of soft. I thought they were getting knocked off the ball too easily the Netherlands foul count was way up there, which I feel like just proves like that competitive spirit. Julie Ertz is jumping over players to head balls. She's going into tackles hard and then continuing a run because she was like, F this, like I need to make something happen. I I just feel like this game proved to me the reason why Becky is so important besides the fact that she's Becky is because now that he has had to drop Julie, it, it takes her out of that midfield spot where she can't dominate before the ball comes to the back line. And so I feel like that that is what they're missing. Like they need a clone because Julie needs to be in the six. And so that's, I, I'm really missing Becky in this game. 
Well, thank the Lord that we actually do have Ertz back there because without her, I don't know where we would be sitting right now in the table. Uh, certainly not level with Netherlands, who, mind you, is missing two of their best forwards in Viviana Miedema and also Bernstein, who picked up an injury before this match. So uh, I'm just excited to see Netherlands full strength later in this tournament. Yeah, honestly, the Netherlands team is impressive. I'm really enjoying watching them. I think the U.S., got lucky. I don't think they deserve to come out of that game level, but I mean, that's the grit that you need to have as, as a world champion going for a three-peat. So it was definitely an entertaining match. I will say as a U.S. fan, I was a bit disappointed by the tactics and I was even more disappointed when Blacko kind of doubled down on them. So I think my frustration lies more so with the staff, less so with the actual players. I think they did the best with what they were given. Um, but to get a result is, is really big because obviously they came from behind since Netherlands scored first. So definitely really entertaining, exciting to see how the U.S. fares against Portugal now because now that's a must-win game. Sid, do you think the U.S. will come out in a different starting 11 against Portugal? I hope so. I think this squad has obviously gotten results in two games, but I think it's really important moving on to the next stages. You can't have players that haven't like haven't had a chance yet in the group stage going into the knockout stage when you'll inevitably need them. So we'll see what comes to be. That's the U.S. versus Netherlands. 1-1 draw. Next game, also in this group, Portugal versus Vietnam. Portugal dominated the flank. I, I loved that. The big thing that I felt like I was seeing from them was selflessness around the box, like layoffs. If I'm not the one that has the shot, I'm going to give it to someone who does. And obviously just talking about the U.S., I feel like that's something that the U.S. is missing. So it's really nice to see that. Abby, what did you think about Portugal? Yeah, I was excited to see them. As you know, I was a fan of them in the Euros, so I'm excited to see that they're on that same trajectory in this World Cup. I think the big stat that I've been paying attention to is their possession. 70% of it was in Portugal's favor. That's great for this game against an opposition like Vietnam, but how do you fare? Do you lose some percentage points going against a team like the USA in their next match? Yeah, I feel like if they scout well against the U.S., like they could actually run the score up. The U.S. is not dealing with balls around their 18 very well, in my opinion, obviously evident with the goal that Jill Ward scored against the U.S. So I think that if Portugal can get the ball down, right, like don't try to play an aerial game against the U.S. If you can get the ball down, break down the U.S.'s lines, I feel like they could potentially run the score up like that could be difficult for the U.S. to deal with. I also I mean, they had chances in the second half, but they didn't score. Both of their goals were um, in the first half, in the first 20 minutes. So for me, I feel like that's something that they need to improve on. That can be a big difference in future, in the future stage, right? If you go up 1-0 against the U.S. and then you don't capitalize on an opportunity later and they come back in and tie that game, like how does that affect you? So I feel like things like that are really important for them. Yeah, putting together 90 minutes of good football is going to be crucial as you get into these tougher oppositions. But overall, good performance by Portugal. They got the job done, three points, and they move on to the next one. I think they're looking to get out of this group, especially with a 1-1 draw for USA and Netherlands. Yeah, definitely. On the flip side, I just felt like Vietnam was screwing their keeper, right? You need to clear the line. You need to clear the ball. You always knew it would be difficult for them in this group, but I felt like they could make it easier on themselves with reducing unforced errors. So this game kind of ended how I expected. I just want to see Portugal continue to dominate throughout the full 90 minutes. That's Portugal versus Vietnam, 2-0 for Portugal. The last game that we're going to cover, which we'll probably end up talking a lot about as well is Nigeria versus Australia. Holy cow. So this was my pick, Australia. Obviously they're plagued with injury, right? Sam is out. Mary Fowler was the person who stepped in in the first game to replace her. Mary Fowler is now out. To be fair, Emily Van Eggman stepped in. She scored their first goal. Like that's what you want, right? The next person coming in for the person that they have to replace being just as good and making an impact. But here is what I want to say in all caps, I'm screaming it big five moments. You cannot score a goal in the first minute of stoppage time and then concede a goal in the fifth minute of stoppage time. Like you are so susceptible. Big five moments basically just mean at the start of the game, end of the game, after a goal, you are so susceptible to get scored on. And if you want to win this tournament, you have to dominate big five moments. To me, it's just, I was shocked. 
I was shocked that they let in a goal right before halftime to level it like that. This is a completely different game if you go into halftime one up. Yeah, I mean, you kind of got a double whammy here with big five moments, Sid, last five minutes of the half, and then also five minutes after you score a goal. And so we all know about that vulnerability. It's not something new. And I'm actually surprised Tony Gustafsson, I don't know, maybe had a lax approach to those big five moments. Maybe he did, and it was just a player error. But at the end of the day, that is going to cost you a tournament, and it very well could do that in this one. Yeah, and it's not like they weren't without their opportunities. They had so many corners they had Haley Razo had a goal in the back post off a corner that I thought a hundred percent she should have scored. Caitlin Ford had some pretty good looks. Like it's not like they were not without their opportunities, but I'm going to be really critical here. I think it was just two really bad mistakes from Arnold. In my opinion, I thought that the miscommunication with Alana Kennedy, the header backwards, that should never happen ever. And I also just felt like the, the one that she kind of batted down, like, I just feel like you have to do better with that at this stage. So I'm going to be really critical and I'm not saying it's completely her fault, right? Like it's a team effort hundred percent, but I just feel like we've really highlighted the importance of goalkeepers so far in this tournament. And this is just an example of it on the flip side. Like if your goalkeeper makes a mistake, how much that can screw you. I mean, Mackenzie Arnold was one of the ones that we highlighted in her first match for Australia. And so, yeah, it's difficult that, Clearly, she was involved with two mistakes that might have cost them the game. But I do want to highlight the fact that Nigeria took this game into their hands. They said, okay, if you're going to make a mistake, we're going to capitalize that. And they did. And I think one of their players actually broke some ribs by running themselves into the net, but scoring a goal at the end of the day. And that's what we love to see. That's the grit. And that's the the fight that we expected to see from Nigeria in their first match. I agree with you so much. Like, I'm really disappointed from Australia, but on the flip side... I feel like this is so good in terms of showing that a team like Nigeria cannot be overlooked. Like the teams that play in the, in the African Confederation, like cannot be overlooked. They played so well. They were so defensively sound. Like, and I'm talking about like down to the footwork. Like I thought they did really well of taking care of their chances. Whereas Australia really struggled with that. Like they, they put in opportunities. They were up three, one at one point. I do think, you know, they need to keep working on set pieces offensively and defensively. I think that they need to do a bit better clearing them defensively and offensively. I think they can be a bit more dangerous on them. So that's the one thing I would like to see from them going forward. But they have come to play. 100% they've come to play. I think their keeper is stellar. And I think that all around, like their lines, they're so cohesive. Like they they play really well together and they know their game plan, right? Like they know they're not the Spain of the world, but they're the Nigeria of the world and they make it work for them. I'm very happy with their play. I just wish this would have been their scoreline against Canada instead of Australia. Yeah, Sid, for me, obviously the Canada-Nigeria game, I had to turn that off because I just couldn't watch the type of football they were playing. But this game was completely the opposite. And I'm I'm hoping the team kind of rallied and, and regrouped after that Canada game because it surely showed a different side of them against the Australians. Yeah, Nigeria is a really good side, but I really just do not think that uh, Australia should have dropped this game. So obviously we'll see what happens with this group. The math for this group is so confusing. Like it's, it's still anybody's game. Obviously Ireland's been eliminated, but like you mentioned, Abby, they still have such a role to play and they're a good team, right? Like it's not like it's going to be an easy match against them. So I mean, Jesus, this, I would probably say that this has been the most entertaining group, like full on it, just in terms of like how chaotic it is. Well said, Australia is your pick. They need to win against Canada to ensure they move on. How are you preparing as a player, let's say, for that match? Yeah, I think as a player, it's kind of just watching film, going back to the basics, seeing what you need to improve on, because obviously their performance in the first game was much better than their performance in this game. There are some things you can't control. Sam Kerr's out. Like, you cannot control that. So I think it's really important that they focus on what's in front of them and what's realistic, Um, capitalizing on your opportunities if you're a forward, figuring out the communication in the back, because I think a lot of the goals that Nigeria scored, because I think two of the goals that Nigeria scored were preventable. Um, So for me, honestly, I think the biggest thing for Australia is to not panic. 
right? They, they, I think are the better side than Canada, but I think if they play down, they're not. Canada struggles to score, right? So just put away your opportunities, run it up as fast as you can early on, and then make Canada work, like make them dig back. So I think probably the most important thing for them is going to be to score, which is easier said than done when your best goal scorer is still yet to appear in the World Cup. Yeah, there is a chance that Sam Kerr is back for this third match, as well as Fowler. She's suffering a concussion. So if she clears that test, we could see her back on the pitch. And those two would be absolutely crucial for Australia going into their last match. But I don't know, Sid, could we have an early exit of both hosts in the group stage? God, I hope not. I mean, it, it is what it is. I still think there would be a lot of support around the World Cup in general. Um, but I think that fans would probably be disappointed to not see their host move on. So I'm hoping for for the sake of the game that they're able to move on. And I'm hoping for the sake of myself. Let's go, Matildas. Come on. Yes, it a lot is at stake in these next coming matches for all four squads in this group. That is Nigeria versus Australia, 3-2 to Nigeria. Long episode, but that is our analysis of these last 15 games. We are going to scratch the hot takes just because we really love the nitty-gritty analysis bit. And so definitely looking forward to doing a breakdown of more games. We're trying to get these out as fast as possible, but the games are just happening so quick. So definitely stay tuned and feel free to skip around to different games if you're interested in hearing our analysis of one game over another. That's it on our end for an analysis, but stay tuned for Abby's Games to Watch. Switching over to Games to Watch, Sid, we have so many good ones to flick on with the TV, but my eyes are set on our hosts. The first one, New Zealand versus Switzerland. This could determine if New Zealand stays in this tournament or has an early exit. That's on Sunday, July 30th. My other one doesn't involve Australia, but the result definitely has an impact on them. So my second game to watch is Nigeria versus the Republic of Ireland on Monday, July 31st. I think Ireland, although they're out of the tournament, can still have a huge impact on the remaining results. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email us at megdpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at megdpodcast. We hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Please rate us and leave reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Join us next week as we tackle new topics, fight over our different perspectives, and as always, our hot takes. See you next week on Megd.